moving humans towards a future of work that works for people. Good morning to you, good afternoon to you, good evening to you, wherever you are listening to this from. I hope you're thriving. I wanted to start today's podcast by just saying that one of the things that I really, really love about doing this is that it gives me 20 minutes to really listen to the stories of my guest. And I mean, really listen. And it's wonderful because I find out things about people that even though I've known them for years, I've never known before. And just before I start recording this, made me realize that I'm just really touched that these incredibly successful and time poor senior leaders, these extraordinary people feel safe to share their real authentic stories with me and with you, lovely listener, of course, and to volunteer their vulnerability. So I just wanted to say a really massive thanks to my guests so far for being so authentic. I am learning so much from your stories. I can't thank you enough. And I'm hoping that you, dear listener, are too. And I've got to say a massive thanks to you too for joining me on this learning journey. So my guest today is Barak Berkowitz, who has been through a hell of a journey over the last four decades. He's been part of all sorts of the parts of the evolving technology ecosystem that has totally changed our world. He's seen a lot of change and I'm sure he's seen a lot of consistency. So that's taken us from nine years Apple in the early days where he grew Japan from 200 million to 2 billion in revenue through Logitech, through social media companies as CEO and as advisor to CEO. And then he led operations and strategy at the MIT Media Lab. This man really knows what he's talking about. He's the real deal. Who has proved time and again that if you create an environment in which people thrive, you get better results. It's common sense. But common sense, as you may have heard me say before, is not so common in big companies, in big complex organizations. He's a bit of a rock star, but I also know that it will make him absolutely cringe to hear me say that because for all of his success, he is a wonderfully warm and modest man. I'm very excited. Anyway, in time, opera tradition, before I introduce you to Barack, let me explain why I am dedicating time to make this podcast for you. If you work inside an organization, whether it be private or public, big or small, if you work with humans, actually, if you don't work with humans, there's nothing to see here, look away. But if you do, and you're finding it hard to get your team to see the world through your eyes, to see what needs to happen, it seems really obvious to you, but you just can't get them motivated and energized to walk with you on that journey. Believe you me, we all know it's tough. Bring on humans leading humans. This audio fuel kit is made for you with love, packed with the stories and the tools and the inspiration we all need to shine as leaders. So keep it in your backpack for the times when you desperately need a shot of energy to be inspired, to believe that you can succeed. Because here's the thing, leaders across the world have 
succeeded. They have proved that you can lead teams in even the most complex situations. You can get them to change their behavior and their mindset if you understand that a leader's only job is to create environments in which people feel respected and rewarded and recognized. And I am lucky enough to know a lot of those leaders. So I'm on a quest to collect their stories, to give you the courage and the know-how to lead more human so that you can be more successful. So next week, I will be talking to Julie Dolman. She is the managing director of Experian. And believe you me, she's a force of nature. I have the honor of working with her. And I am telling you now that we all have so much to learn by the way that this woman leads. I can't wait. But for now, drum roll, the moment we've all been waiting for, Mr. Barak Berkowitz. So, so excited that you are actually joining me for Humans Dealing Humans. Um, to give you a bit of background, I met Barack for the first time at this fantastic event called DLD, which is run by a guy called Yossi Vardi and Steffi. And it's one of those incredible gatherings of the most insightful, inspiring people you could ever want to meet. And it's one of those events that you never quite make it to the stage because the people are too interesting and you keep having to chat to them. Now, we're also both part of this network called Kinnanet. And all of those people are amazing, but some of them I've become particularly fond of and I like spending time with. Barack is one of those people. So Barack, do you want to tell the people who are listening a little bit more about what you've done, not who you are, because who you are is an amazing human, but <laughs> what you've done. Thanks, Katz. And I share the affection and uh, so happy uh, to be here and nice of you to invite me. Basically, what I've done is worked in the tech industry for quite a while. I got involved in tech because I'm dyslexic and I found this magic machine that could make it look like I could spell or make it look like I didn't have to worry about typing. And I started to always, even as a kid, really cared about how machines could enable humans to do more than they were naturally able to do. How they are force multipliers for organizations and force multipliers for individuals. And so that led me on a career that wandered through starting one of the first computer, consumer computer stores in the world at Macy's New York, working at Apple, both in the US and Japan, Logitech, one of the first search engines, InfoSeq, uh, and most recently I, I ran operations at the MIT Media Lab. So I've, in one way or another, wandered through the growth of technology and the evolutions of technological business and impact on society. What a story, and I think you've probably seen things change a lot and some things staying very constant. So thank you for that. Tell us your first story. So my first story is just an amusing story, but I think it does have some insight 
into organizations and how to build an organization that feels right. And what I'd say at first is I've been the uh, CEO of startups often, and I've also taken the awkward role of being the CEO for a startup that was founded by somebody else and the founders still being there. And that's actually been somewhat of a something I've done a number of times in the last decade and a half. And this is early on when I was the CEO of Six Apart. And the founders, Ben and Mina Trott, who are pretty famous in the social media world, had hired me and I was the third employee. And then we hired a administrator, or actually maybe she was hired before me uh, to work with Ben and Mina. And then we wanted to hire an office manager. And there is somebody we got a lead for and we invited her in to interview. And so she came in and interviewed. And first she talked to Ben and Mina, who talked to her together. And then she went off to talk to Mie, who was this administrative uh, slash program person who was working with Ben and Mina. And that was a day when, like in a lot of startup days, you do every job on your own. And I was had set my goal for that day to pull Ethernet wires throughout the, the office, our new office, and make sure we had our network working well. So I'm in coveralls with the tool belt, etc. After Mia interviews her and likes her a lot, she says, oh, and we'd like you to talk to Barack too. And so I sit down with uh, her, the name's Malou, and we have a really great conversation. And she leaves and we make a decision to put out an offer to hire her. And then Amita call her up to ask her to come on board. And she says, you know, I'm really excited about coming on board. I, I was excited just because of what you're doing and meeting you, but I'm particularly excited because you even had me interview with the handyman. And I thought that was such a nice way of you <laughs> to introduce me to the company and show me how equal you are. So I think, you know, th there are a few lessons to learn from that. I, the most important one is probably that it's pretty important measure of how your organization is working if it's hard to tell who the CEO is. If you go into a meeting room or an interview or something else, and unless somebody tells you, you can't quite tell who's in charge. You might know who's in charge of that meeting or you might know who's in charge of that specific task. But in an equal organization, an organization where there's a lot of room for openness and creativity, it should be pretty hard to just walk in the room and know who the CEO is. And that was, you know, I think what Malou thought was great. And it's something that, you know, stood out uh, and is a memory that even Ben and Mina talk about today. I love that. I love that. And it's the E from the Create Network. It's equity. It's about actually everybody should be equal. Whatever you are doing, no matter where you are in the hierarchy, you should be willing to get down and dirty. Get your hands dirty. I love that. Barack the janitor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a job I've done, so it's like not <laughs> totally. Okay, so yeah, that's a lovely story. And I think everyone who's listening, 
you know, I wonder how many organizations you've led or been part of where you absolutely can't say that's the truth, where you can walk into a room and you can see by the way everybody's treating that person in charge and therefore that dynamic is not healthy at all. Okay, that was a brilliant story number one. Story number two. So story number two, I'll, I'll also um, tell a story about Six Apart, though it is a method I've used other places too. But this is the first time this came up. And this is a situation, a company emergency. And every company has moments that shape the company around a crisis and a problem. And in this case, we're running the service that people are paying us for on a monthly basis. And the service went down. And the service went down for quite a while. It went down, I think, for something like nine hours. And it, that time that it went down was the middle of the night in California, which was part of the reason it went down. But it, we had customers all over the world. And so after we fixed the core problem, there were really two things that you need to do. The first one is you need to figure out how that problem doesn't take place again. But more importantly, even before you make sure that happens, you need to figure out what you're going to do with your customers and how you're going to treat them fairly in this situation. And so we pulled together a meeting with a, a large range of employees, uh, people from the networking group, people from marketing, the executive team, et cetera, and started talking about the problem and how we'd compensate people and how angry some people were. And one of the things that came up really quickly was it was completely unequal. As you can imagine, if it goes down in the middle of the night in California, there were many people in California who never knew there was a problem. It did not impact them at all. Maybe their blog was not accessible for nine hours, but that was not that critical to them. On the other hand, we had people in Europe and in Asia who felt that this was a disaster. Somebody who was launching a product, somebody who had put out a press release about a post that they had put up, and that they really felt impacted and let down by us. And so we had a long conversation about what we do. And we kept coming back to this issue that it was unequal, that if we gave too little to everybody, then the people who were very badly hurt would feel that we didn't appreciate the pain they felt. And if we gave too much to people, we would be hurting the company and unnecessarily creating problems with our cash flow. And so the decision we came up with was to simply trust the customer. And so uh, I wrote up a fairly long email and it explained what had happened, how we were sorry about it, how we were going to make sure that it never happened again, and said to them, look, if you do nothing, you will get two weeks of credit and we will give you, you know, two weeks of credit. You don't have to do a thing that you will simply pay two weeks less for the, for the last period. If you click on this web link, you can choose to get four weeks of credit, one week of credit or zero weeks of credit. 
And so with that, we first of all gave a pretty generous credit to people and said, if you do nothing, you'll get this generous credit of half a month. Considering we were down for eight hours, we thought that that was very generous. But if you really felt harmed, you could get an entire month free. But we also said, look, if, if you didn't feel this was a problem at all, you can click one week or zero and, you know, be fair to us that you got all the service you wanted. What we forecast at first was that it would average out to slightly over one week of credit, though a lot of people thought it would be over two weeks of credit, that nobody would take less than the two. As it came out, we ended up uh, having the average rebate being a little bit less than one week of credit. Wow. So a huge number of people chose zero and a large number of people chose one week and four weeks was incredibly rare, actually. Wow. Well, there you go. So you respected the customers, you trusted the customers, and lo and behold, something happened that was even better than you might have imagined. And, you know, yes. people, that's the thing, eh? If you treat people fairly, they treat you fairly back. And that's um, Dan Ariely, who uh, will be a guest uh, later on in a few weeks. Yeah, has started an insurance company whereby people don't really have to give very much proof based on the same principles that actually if you're fair to people, they'll be fair to you. If, you, if people don't feel like they're going to be screwed by you, they will do the right thing. Yeah. Definitely. I, I love I that story. And I think the, the other thing is it did a lot of things inside of the organization because first it made all of the employees feel empowered to bring up crazy ideas and to try to push the edges. And secondly, it made the employees proud of the organization. The fact that we were being fair meant that they really felt, felt strongly that one, they would be treated fairly and two, that they could feel good about how we respected our customers. I love that. And again, that's equity. It's just yes. being fair. If everyone can see how decisions are being made, that puts people in a space where they're going to be the best they can be. Absolutely. Number three, Barak, what's yeah. your last story? I'll tell the story about one company, but I've used it in many. But the last story is that I went into a company at the time called True Knowledge uh, and became the CEO also for a founder who'd actually founded the company 12 years before. And the company was in a period of transition and there were a lot of stresses in the company. And one of the stresses was that we our main product was a product called Eevee, which was an app. And many people knew us buy that product called Eevee, but the company's name was still True Knowledge. And even when you were walking around the company, people would sometimes call the company Eevee and sometimes they'd call it True Knowledge. But in trying to have a conversation with the executive team, trying to make a decision about what we should do about the company name and how we should deal with marketing of this became really difficult. And so, what we did was we brought everybody into a room and uh, had an offsite. It was actually a one day offsite. And 
the first exercise we did, which I've done many times, was I give each person a three green post-it notes and three red post-it notes. And the instructions to everyone is write down three things about the company that you think are great. They can be incredibly simple things or incredibly difficult, great things, difficult things. And write the, do the same with things that you think are broken. And again, it could be as broken as the leadership should quit to as simple as, uh, you know, I don't like the snacks that are in the snack room. And so we did this exercise and it generally takes quite a while for people to come up with three bad things and three good things. It's always interesting which is harder to come up with. And then we ask people to volunteer to put them up on a board and if somebody else has the same one, they put it up on the board too. And what always happens is there are groupings of things. And in this case, one of the biggest groupings was the name of the company and the marketing of the name of the company and the communication about what the company is and what it's called. And the challenge of that was so obvious that a majority of people in the company put this post-it up that said, you know, what are we? Are we true knowledge? Are we Evie? Are we living in the past? Or are we living in the future? You know, could we give up something like this? And what was really interesting is one of the promises I make at the beginning of the session is that some of these things we will fix today or in the next couple of weeks. And some of the things may take months to fix because they might be very hard. We don't have enough cash. Okay, we have to give more cash. That could take a while. It turns out that after talking to people and after everybody getting together, it was clear that there was a consensus to change the name to Evie, even for people who felt emotionally connected to the old name, True Knowledge. And we were able to change that within a period of weeks. So not only did people get to feel like, wow, I didn't know this. Everybody thought the same thing and get to appreciate the fact that if we talk about stuff more openly, we will learn more about what's going on in the organization more quickly. And most people know what's wrong and most people know what's great. But they also see immediate action from their feedback and the fact that people's opinions are valued and the consensus is possible and that leadership doesn't always have to come from the top down. So I think that that was a very successful name change. Very soon after we sold ourselves to Amazon and it was uh, an example of how in an organization generally, if you ask, you'll find out most people know what's working and most people know what's broken. I am hearing you, Brian. And to me, this, this resonates so much with me because obviously that's exactly what Beep is about. It's yeah. about saying that every single person inside your organization has an insight. That insight may not feel good to hear, but if you can fix that, if you can hear it, and especially if there are a lot of people saying the same things, giving people a voice and giving them the tools by which they can fix the little things that are bugging them is so powerful. I totally agree. And in fact, I'll give an example without the company name. I recently did this with a company that I'm uh, mentoring the CEO. And 
I've always done this exercise as, um, you know, as an open exercise, so not anonymous. But I was told by a number of people in the company before we did it that we would get no answers if it wasn't anonymous. So I found a tool that allowed us to do it in a Zoom environment and do it anonymously. And it turned out that the single largest item that came up, and in fact, there were a total of uh, 27 people in the room and 18 of them mentioned that they were afraid to speak their mind. Oh my God. And it was something that was obviously hard for the management to hear. But at the same time, there was no way to close your eyes to the fact that the way this system was set up, nobody could give the same answer twice and nobody could vote twice. But if you have more than half the people in your company feeling that they're afraid to speak their mind, give their opinion, criticize something that's going on, you're never going to be able to fix things. And the cost of that in terms of time, energy, and lost resources, you know, this critical resource of your employees is so great that there's no way once you see that you can't, you can ignore it and not move to try to fix it. And I will say that company has done a lot to, to fix that to date. And right now it seems that people already feel more at ease. So important. Everything you've just said resonates with me so much. Because the truth is, you know, and I, I talk about this a lot with the leaders that I work with, just because you're listening doesn't mean that they're not feeling. It doesn't mean that they're not talking to each other. So you can stick your fingers in your ears all you like, but it may hurt. And Carol talked about this and, uh, you know, other people that I've interviewed have talked about this as well. It sometimes doesn't feel good to get feedback, but that feedback's really important if you want to be successful. Thank you, Barack. Thank Brilliant. you. Three and a half stories, love that. Um, so the very last thing we have to do is to decide what should this episode be called? Hmm, I have no idea. What would you like to call the episode? Should be something about, so the first one was about... The first one was about equality, I would guess. Equality. The second one was about... Trust. Yeah. And the third one was about... I'm thinking listening. Uh, openness or, yeah. So we shall go with those three. Thank you, Barack. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I've learned so much listening to you. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you. It's great Bye. talking to you. Thanks so much. You Bye. Bye. Oh, Barack. I honestly, I just feel so honored to have had this conversation with that man. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. But, and I know that you know this already, I fiercely believe that everything can be better always. So I really, really, really want to get your feedback. What did you love? What resonated? What could we do better? What do you want more of? Who do you think deserves to join our list of imaginal guests? So if you've got any suggestions or comments or feedbacks, or of course, a story that you think will inspire listeners in next week's episode, please DM my company at Beep 
mind shift that's at beep mind shift or dm me at katzy k-a-t-z-y or obviously you can dm me on linkedin i'm all over the web and i want to hear your feedback so next week's guest is the extraordinary and most definitely imaginal Julie Dorman, who is the Managing Director of Global Expansion at Experian. She is a delight and there is so much to learn from her. You have been listening to Humans Leading Humans Towards a Future of Work That Works for People. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. And if you are a senior leader, if you need the know-how and the networks to succeed and you're not already a member, get over to their website and become part of that tribe. I would 100% recommend it. And a massive, massive thanks to the fantastic Super Terrania for the magical sting of stings. Go to www.wearebeep.com to find out more about the Create Framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem-solving potential of humans. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Please subscribe. The link's in the notes. Please don't miss any more of this storytelling magic. Be inspired. Be imaginal. Be more human. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.